All right, well, we want to jump straight into the passage today. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, please open up uh, there. And uh, we read a little bit of this last week, but I want to kind of read it again because it kind of all goes together. All right, and verse 1 of chapter 6 says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. All right, and so this, this verse kind of serves a dual purpose. One, it kind of wraps up what Jesus has been talking about at the end of chapter 5. Uh, in chapter 5 there at the end, he was talking about uh, having a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. Uh, we kind of talked about that a couple weeks ago, all right? And, and then he kind of gives six different areas on how this should look like, okay? Don't be angry. Uh, don't, don't, don't lust after people. Don't get divorces. Don't, like all kinds of different things. Love your enemies was the last one that we talked about, all right? And so he says, uh, here it kind of wraps that up. Okay, now we've got to talk about righteousness again. And he talks about not practicing it in front of other people. All right, then we get... It serves a second purpose, and that is introducing this next topic, which is summed up in that idea of not practicing your righteousness in front of other people. And we have to understand what Jesus means by this in order to understand what this passage is going to say. Uh, this, passage, this verse is, is sometimes difficult in the application, right, because we, when we read it, if we just read it straightforward, it says that we're not to practice righteousness in front of people. So, so what does that mean? Does that mean I shouldn't be letting people know I'm a Christian? Well, that seems a little far-fetched, all right, based on everything else that we see. So what does he mean by doing this? Uh, and, and lots of people throughout history have had issues with this, trying to interpret what this means. All right. Uh, we see it even in the New Testament. We see James having to explain uh, to his audience that, no, you have to do stuff. All right. Faith without deeds, without works is dead. And so so it has there has to be something more to this. And I think what Jesus is talking about is attitude. All right. When we are practicing righteousness, when we're trying to do the right thing, what is our attitude in that? Are we doing it? So that men will look at us and say, good job, Tony, you're awesome. Is that why we do it? All right, I hope that's why you're doing it for me, right? So I get, no, no. No, is that why we're doing it? To get applause from men or are we doing it for another reason? I have a uh, friend that takes this verse kind of extreme. All right, and, and, and she uh, believes that all that matters to her is her relationship with God. And so if her relationship with God is good, it doesn't matter what you think I'm doing. And the problem is, is that you can't talk to that type of person, right? You can't tell them, no, you're doing it wrong because no, you, you can't say that. You can't judge. You can't, I'm doing it in private. And so she doesn't go to church, right? She doesn't live to the standards that we find in the New Testament, Old Testament, right? She doesn't, she doesn't give, she doesn't serve, so is she really doing this? That's a tough question. And so to understand it, I think we have to look at a certain word, and, and, and I think it helps explain this first verse. All right, and we see this word over and over again in the next three sections that Jesus is going to talk about. So let's just look at them, the introductory verses uh, to each one of these three sections we're going to look at today. The first is uh, Matthew 6, 2. 
Uh, it's going to appear on the screen. It says, so then, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Uh, verse 5 is the introduction to the next section. S and when you pray, do not do it like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Uh, then verse 16, when you fast, do not look as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others uh, that they are fasting. So what is the word that pops up in all three of these verses? Hypocrites. All right, and, and that word is going to be key. All right, and so to understand this word, I want us to do a very fun subject uh, that I'm sure a lot of you are going to be like, oh, but I like it, okay, so that matters. All right, it, and it's language history. All right, when you hear language history, how many are like, woohoo? No, okay. I'll try making it fun for you, okay? All right, language history is interesting, okay? Words change meanings. All right, and, and over time, uh, the longer you live, you see that. Words have different meanings depending on what era they're spoken. I, and and, and, and I, I see this from time to time. Uh, when I was working with high schoolers, every once in a while they come up with new words that you're like, what? And sometimes you, you can understand it, okay? Sometimes the change in the word makes sense, okay? Uh, one example that the high schoolers always used was when, when somebody was in a bad attitude, they would say, why are you salty? All right, not how I would use the word. All right, but salty makes sense, right? Because salty is bitter, right? And so if you're saying they're salty, then that means they're bitter, which means they have kind of a bad attitude. So we can kind of see words doing that, but sometimes words change to an extreme. Uh, my grandmother, when I was uh, probably in preschool, kindergarten, uh, she got really mad at me every time I used a certain word because it's not how she would use it. And that word was cool. No. Cool. I, how many of you have ever said, that's cool? I, anytime I said that, as a, as a five-year-old, she got angry at me. Don't use it that way. Don't, don't say it like that. And I never understood why she did that, but I do understand that for her, cool meant cold, right? It's cold. And so if that's cool and it's not actually cold, then it doesn't make sense. All right, but that is how words change, and other words have done this, okay? So peruse. When you peruse something, what are you doing? What's that? Looking it over, right? Skimming it. You might peruse the aisles at the grocery store and get things that you would never need, right? All right, but perusing actually originally meant to pour over, to not just skim, but to like, actually study in, in depth, all right? So we see that word change. Another good one is awful, all right? Awful means what? Bad, Bad right? Originally, though, it meant something that left you full of awe. So if you said in the 1600s that God is awful, it would mean something totally different than what we hear in our ears. I mean, we hear that that doesn't go together, all right? But for them, it does. All right, and so words change meaning, and we have to understand that to understand when Jesus uses the word hypocrites, that he means something in particular. All right, because when we think of the word hypocrite, we often initially in our minds use it in the sense of 
of me telling you to do something and then me doing what I'm telling you not to do. For instance, right, if I told you don't drink out of the water fountain, it's not good for you to do that, and then I go and drink out of the water fountain, what, what am I? A hypocrite, yeah, yeah, that's how we use the word, all right, but that's not necessarily how Jesus used the word, all right? So let's look at the history of hypocrite. The first time it appears is in a guy by the name of Homer, all right, he wrote this really cool story about the Iliad and the Odyssey, all right, and he uses the word to mean anytime you answer something. And in particular, not, not just like a, a generic answer, what's your favorite color, red, I didn't have to think about that, right? All right? Not that type of thing, but whenever you're asked a question, you have to sit there and contemplate and look deep down inside you and, and give an answer from deep down inside you, all right? And so that was the word hypocrite, to answer from the inner depths of who you are. All right, then the word jumped to talk about uh, interpreting dreams, all right? And that makes sense, right? If we're answering something that's deep down inside us and we're talking about dreams, where do dreams come from? Deep down inside us, all right? Some of us are awake still, all right? All right. And, and, and it's one of those things. It was an easy jump, but then the theater got it, all right? And theater, if you ever are around people that are in theater, they use words in weird ways, okay? It's just how they are, all right? And so the theater got a hold of this word and, and they used it to refer to their actors. So actors were called hypocrites. And the reason why it makes sense, okay, uh, if the word meant what's really down deep inside you, right, actors in that day, when they acted, they didn't just come on stage looking like they normally do. Instead, they would dress themselves up, they would do up their hair, they would wear masks, they would come out and they would speak in, in ways that they normally wouldn't speak, so they would change their voice right, to match their character. And so what was seen on the outside wasn't a reflection of who they were on the inside. All right, so what was on the outside, you could see it, and that was your favorite actor, but then their actor could probably associate with you, and, and you would never know that who they were the same person. Like, that's the extreme that they went in acting. And so this word came to mean uh, what was inside you is hidden by what you show people on the outside. It came to mean duplicity, because you're showing somebody something that's not really who you are. And this is the way Jesus would have used it. Right? A hypocrite is someone who shows something to the world, but when you look on their inside, it's not who they truly are. And this understanding of the word is important when we read throughout the New Testament. When Jesus calls on the seven woes in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees and scribes, he says, you guys are hypocrites, and he explains to them. You guys look like whitewashed tombs, but on the inside there's death. You guys do all these things, you tithe and, and, and to your little dill, men, dill leaves, like to the extreme you tithe, but yet you don't practice mercy and justice and love. So a hypocrite in the biblical sense is someone who presents a good facade, but deep down inside, they nothing like that. They may say they love God, but deep down inside, they don't. So when we use this word in, in our modern context, we use it in a different way, don't we? 
Right? We're kind of trying to say that, but that's not really what we're saying. A biblical hypocrite is not someone who sits there and says, sin is sin. Right? You can call sin, sin, and it's not being hypocritical of you. Right? What it is hypocritical is if you call sin, sin, and then you say, I don't sin. That is the hypocritical part. But recognizing that you're a sinner and then saying, you know what, that thing right there, that's bad. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. And yes, I fail at times. That's not being a hypocrite. At least not in the way Jesus would have used the word. Now in our modern context, we probably would say it was, wouldn't we? All right, so that's what Jesus is saying is, is when he's using this. And when we understand this in verse 1, it makes this more important to us. All right, when we're talking about practicing our righteousness in secrets, we're talking about in the innermost part of who we are, are we practicing our righteousness? And it may be something that we do, that we're doing for ourselves to please God. And yes, other people may see it, and that's not a problem. The problem is, is when we practice our righteousness out in front of people, when inside we really don't want to do it. So when we're talking about giving is one of the things. When we talk about giving, and we practice giving, but deep down inside we hate every time we hand out money to somebody. That is what Jesus is calling us against. When we pray, all right, and we're praying to make a show for everyone in the world, and then we come back and we're like, man, I don't really like talking to God. That is hypocritical. When we're talking about fasting, and you fast, and you do it so that people look at you, and they're like, oh man, I'm sorry that you're fasting right now. Like, that is bad. When deep down inside, all we want to do is just eat, 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 eat. That is hypocritical, and that is what Jesus is going to be talking against in these verses. So we got a good understanding of what hypocrite means. Sorry that was boring for some of you. All right, here we go. Verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues do and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, we see this idea of, of giving, and giving is something that is important, but the way in which we give matters. Are we giving it because we know that we have to, and so we're making sure that everyone knows that we are giving? When the plate comes, we're like, hey, boom, right that, right? So that everyone sees how much I'm giving as I'm doing it. Is that what we're doing? Or are we giving out of our graciousness to God, out of our gratefulness for all that God has given us? Giving is important, and we need to be givers. And sometimes we, we kind of talk about giving to the poor, and we kind of are hesitant, right? We see someone on the street that, that is asking for money, and, and sometimes we get hesitant. Sometimes we're hesitant because we're afraid of, uh, that they'll misuse it, that they'll go buy uh, some beer or alcohol or whatever, or they're going to buy drugs or, or whatever it is. Sometimes we're afraid that they're going to misuse it. Sometimes we're afraid that they're going to abuse it. In the sense that they're going to keep coming to us. And I understand that things. I mean, there's people that Emily and I have, have helped out that they just keep coming and coming and coming. And it gets tiring giving to the same people. I understand that. But our job is not to judge who we're giving to, but our job is to give. 
And Jesus says, give to the poor and the needy. And a lot of times, I mean, our world is very good at putting on a facade. Sometimes people look like they're doing good, but they need help. So it's not our job to judge them on, on what they need, but it's our job to give. Now, that doesn't mean we can't give in unique ways, right? Maybe what they need is a meal, and so we give them a meal. Maybe what they need is training on, on how to get a job, how to keep a job, how to do different things so that they can have long-term substance on themselves. And so giving doesn't necessarily mean we just give a handout, open up, they open up a hand and we put it in there. That's not necessarily what it always means. Right? But we have to be willing to give. We have to be willing to take steps to help those who need help. And so that's what we kind of see. Again, the focus in these verses is not on what we give, but rather on the attitude that we have in giving. Are we giving so that other people can see that we are givers, or are we giving to please God, to give back some of what he has given us? All right, we're going to skip the next one uh, and go down to verse 16. And this is what it says. When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, we see this importance of the attitude behind fasting. All right, what they would do is they would fast and they would come out and they wouldn't have washed up and, and you could just see it on their face that they were hungry and worn out and people would look at them and say, what's wrong? And they could say, I'm fasting. And the other people would say, oh, I'm glad that you're fat." I mean, they would give them praises for being so spiritual. All right, but it all started by them coming out looking terrible. All right, and so Jesus says, no, put on your makeup, wash your face, Go out. All right? That's, that's, he doesn't say exactly like that, but that's what he means, okay? And so if you're fasting, don't make a show of it. All right? It, if someone comes up to you and says, what's wrong, and, and they can see that you're fasting and that your face is somber because of it, then you've, you've missed the point. So let's talk about fasting. Because fasting is one of those things that, that we don't do a whole lot of anymore. Not, not to the extent that they did. I mean, there were some people in that day that would fast like three or four times a week. All right, so we don't obviously do that usually. Maybe you do, and I'm sorry if I've, I'm not speaking to you, okay? All right, but most of us, we don't, we don't typically fast. So let's talk about what fasting is to begin with. All right, fasting uh, is a time where we stop doing something, usually eating or drinking, and for in a period of time, and during that time that we normally would be doing that activity, we're praying. All right? And so if you're, not, if you're fasting all right, and you don't eat lunch, instead of keep on working during your lunch hour, what you would do is go off by yourself and pray during that time. And so fasting becomes very powerful because it gives you more opportunity in the day to pray for something in particular. Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics did a study in 2015, and one of the things that they found was the average amount of time a week or a day that someone eats. Right, do you have any guess on how long it takes you to eat every single meal that you have? 
an hour. That's pretty close, yeah. So on average, on a weekday, all right, it's an hour and eight minutes that someone eats. So you're eating for an hour and eight minutes, shoveling food into your mouth type thing, okay? All right, some of you eat faster, some of you eat slower. Uh, on the weekends or holidays, it's an hour and 17 minutes, all right? And so, so that's, a lot, that's a lot of time, all right? An hour and 20 minutes. If you add into that the time it takes you to cook your meal and clean up after, your, after yourself afterwards, uh, you have about two hours uh, of time, all right? Now imagine if you were fasting, and you weren't eating or preparing a meal or cleaning up after yourselves, and instead you took those two hours a day to pray. On top of what hopefully you're already praying, right? That's what makes prayer or fasting powerful because it gives you time that you don't normally take to pray to spend time asking God for help, asking God for guidance, asking God for direction in your life. Right, it's a very powerful tool. On top of that, it also shows God how concerned you are about the subject. Because we need food to survive, don't we? Right, if we don't eat for an extended period of time, we die. Right, and so not eating is showing God that we care about this thing that we're praying about so much so that we're willing to give up something that is a necessity for us. All right, and so that also uh, compounds on itself. And so this kind of leaves us with a couple of questions, right? Why do we fast? Like, what should we be fasting for? And how do we do this? All right, and so these, these are very simple things, okay? Throughout the Bible, we see a number of reasons why people fasted. One of the things that they fasted for were big events in their lives. We see in the story of Esther, Esther being the queen of, of Persia, and she is... Uh, told that the second-in-command of Persia has declared that all of the Jews are to be killed. And that's a problem for Esther, who's a Jew herself. And so Esther is going to go before the king. But if she goes before the king uh, without permission, she would be killed. It was a, a capital offense. And so she calls on the Jews to fast for three days and nights so that when she goes before the king, hopefully she'll be spared. And we see that after that fasting, uh, God spares her and she's able to save her people. So, big events in our lives. Maybe we should be fasting for new jobs, for job interviews, for, for, for births, for, for all kinds of things, big events, weddings. Maybe we should be fasting for them, asking God blessings in this new thing that we're about to do, in this big thing that we're about to partake in. Big events in our lives. Uh, we also see that they fasted for leadership. Right, when Paul and Barnabas were traveling after their first missionary journey, they're traveling back through each city. They started to establish leaders in each of the cities, in each of the churches, elders. All right, and, and they were told that as they're doing that, they are fasting and praying. And as we set up new leaders within the church, I think we should fast for them. Here in a couple of uh, weeks, we're going to be presenting to you new elders and deacons for the new year. All right? and, and one of the things that, that we do as we do that over the last couple of years has been asking you to fast for them. This isn't just something that, that you should read over and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. All right? But we really honestly should fast for them. To consider each of them. Is this who God wants in this position? 
And our vote shouldn't just be yes or no, however we're feeling, but what God is wanting in our church and in our direction that we're going. And so when we ask you to fast, we're being serious. Fast for them. Because they need God's guidance. They need God's blessing in their lives. And so we, as a church, can, can help that in fasting for them as we're setting them up. All right, so leadership, we also see that new ministries in the New Testament in particular were given with fasting. All right, Jesus is baptized in Matthew 3, and in Matthew 4, he goes off into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. All right, Jesus, the Son of God, fasts before he does any ministry. All right, praying for God's direction, praying for God's blessing in his ministry. We see it in Acts 13 when Paul and Barnabas are told to go and to establish new churches throughout all of Asia. And the leadership there said, okay, let's pray and let's fast for them. So new ministries we should be fasting over. But the biggest one that we see throughout the Bible, it comes when there is sin involved. There is fasting when there is repentance. We see it in the life of David. When Nathan comes to him and says, hey, God knows what you did with Bathsheba. David fasts in repentance. Uh, we see it when Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh and tells them, 40 more days and you're going to be destroyed because of the evil that you have done. And the city of Nineveh says, we don't want to be under God's destruction. And so they begin to fast. Fasting is accompanied by repentance. Paul uh, meets Jesus on the Damascus Road, and as he's waiting for Ananias to come to him and explain the gospel and be baptized, he fasts during that time. The early church required anyone who wished to be baptized to fast for three days before they did the deed. Fasting is associated with repentance, and sometimes in our lives we get into sin that we don't need to be a part of, and the way that we need to break it and show God that we are sorry is to fast for it. Fasting in connection to repentance. So those are some ways that they fasted. Uh, how do you fast? It's really up to you. All right. Sometimes we read about complete fast. They didn't eat and they didn't drink anything. Uh, we see sometimes they just didn't eat. All right, Jesus fasts for 40 days, and at the end of it, we're told that he's hungry, but there's no mention of him being thirsty. All right, so more than likely, he fasted from food. Sometimes you just fast from select foods. I'm not going to eat that cake anymore. And the time that I'm going to eat that cake, normally I would be praying during that time. Sometimes we see, as in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, that we fast from activities that are enjoyable. I'm not going to do this activity. And again, it comes back to when we're fasting, the time that we would be doing that thing, we're instead spending time in prayer. And when we fast, when you commit to a fast, you're also saying, I'm not going to do that, okay? So if you decide to fast from Facebook, don't check Facebook every hour. All right? That is not a fast. All right? Instead, that time that you would normally be on Facebook, you would set it aside and say, I'm going to pray. Fasting works when we take that time that we normally would do it and pray instead. All right, so that's fasting. Uh, I hope 
and pray that you guys all fast at some point in time over the next couple of weeks, especially when it comes to the leadership in the next couple, in, in three or four weeks from now. All right, let's go jump back up to prayer. I kind of skipped that just because there's lots of things that are written on this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there's sermon series, uh, there's books. Uh, if, if you want to, you can read more about that. Uh, we could spend a lot of time on this, uh, but I got six minutes and a half left. So here we go. Verse five, when you pray, do not do it like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing on the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close your door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, Jesus says, again, it's about attitude. Are you doing it to be applauded by men? Are you praying in public uh, just so people can say, oh, man, he's an awesome person? I mean, is that why you do it? Well, hopefully it's not. Instead, you should pray in secret. All right, now does this mean that Jesus says that we shouldn't have corporate prayer, that the prayers that we've done throughout this service should not be done? Well, no, that's probably not what he's saying here. All right, Jesus is going to pray in like five verses, all right, in public, and so that's probably not what he means, all right, but what it comes to is, is our attitude in prayer. Are we praying for ourselves so that people can look at us and say, ooh, he's awesome, or are we praying for God? Uh, he gives another example. He says in verse 7 and 8, when you Pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Uh, basically, the way the pagans, the Greek religions worked is it was all about more or less magical incantations. And when you prayed, you were praying, praying a certain thing a certain amount of times to get the desired results. And what Jesus says is essentially, no, prayer is not mindless, it is not thoughtless, it is not mechanical, but rather it is honesty. When you pray, are you praying honestly from the inside of who you are rather than based on a, a certain formula? Then he gives us a model prayer in verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or trespasses uh, as we also for, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, it's a model prayer. Again, there's lots of sermons and lots of things we could say about it. This is all I want to say about it in the time I have. First, the prayer isn't just for our needs. When we pray, we see that Jesus says you should be focusing on God as well. He gives us three things about God. He says, hallowed is your name, holy is your name. He says that uh, your kingdom come and your will be done. So we're focusing on God as much as we're focusing on ourselves. And prayer is a time that we can give praise back to God. All right, when we pray and all we do is focus on ourselves, then we miss this great opportunity to thank God for the things that he's done for us already. We're missing an opportunity to say, God, let you be my direction. Let your will be done. And so prayer, as much as it is a supplication of God asking him for things in our lives, is an opportunity for us to Praise God. The other thing we see is that prayer is a time of supplication. All right? Give us our daily bread. 
forgive us our trespasses, and uh, keep us from temptation. These are three things that are about us. God, help us to have sustenance. God, help us to be forgiven. God, help us uh, to, to remain outside of temptation. And so prayer not only is a praise to God, but it is also time for us to ask God for help. All right, and so those are things that we see in this. Jesus closes out this section in verse 14 and 15 with something very interesting because it's not necessarily related to prayer. He says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your sin, their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I wish I had five hours to talk about this. And this is probably the most important concept in this. We are to be imitators of God. And in the sacrifice of Jesus, we have forgiveness from the mistakes that we've made, from the sins that we've done. And what we're told to do in these verses by Jesus himself is that we must forgive others. Life is difficult. And people do things against us that, that hurts us. And Jesus says, when they hurt you, forgive. I mean, this, is, this is pretty primary throughout the New Testament. Jesus will say, the way you show mercy is the way you will be shown mercy. So if you're not merciful, then God's not going to be merciful to you. If you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. And so we need to be showing forgiveness when people hurt us. We cannot harbor unforgiveness in our lives and expect Jesus, expect God to say, hey, you're doing awesome. We have to forgive. And that's hard. That's hard. I mean, I understand. People hurt me all the time. Not all the time, I shouldn't say like that. People, I get hurt from people at times. I know it's difficult to forgive. But that is the way we need to go, to imitate Jesus. Ultimately, what we see in these verses, these 18 verses, is this idea of our outside being a true reflection of our inside. We cannot be hypocritical when we're practicing righteousness. We cannot put on this facade for people to see, but yet inside we're nasty and dead. We have a Savior who's come to forgive us, and we need His forgiveness in our lives. And when we reflect that to the world, then it needs to be what's truly on our inside. And when we give, and when we fast, and when we pray, Those need to come from who we are deep down inside. Because if not, then we're doing nothing for Jesus. We are just a show. And that is not what I want to be. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us not just to be a show for you. Help us to actually be all about you. Help us to... to have our outside reflect our inside help us on the inside when we struggle with different areas uh, to just be wholly encompassed by you help us to be clothed in you 
so that when the world looks at us, they don't see me, but they see you. In all things that I do, Lord, let it not be about who I am. Let it not be about what people think about me, but let it wholly be about who you are. Help us to glorify you in the way that we give. Help us to glorify you in our prayers and in our fasting. Help us, Lord, in the areas that we fail. I ask these things in your name. Amen.